0: Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, chapter
1: 4, that's where we will be for this last message of 2019. Just so you know as well, let's make a quick announcement In two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new series entitled Brave in the New World. And what I want to address in that series is a few topics that are pressing in our day. Let me put it that way. And I want to address uh, things that that need to be addressed by the church, topics like gender, marriage, sex, sanctity of life, etc., I see this series is lasting about five weeks and addressing those things. All of that will begin on January 12th, 2020. So put that on your calendars and be aware of that. But for today, for this last message of 2019, I want to look to the Old Testament and I want to look to the book of Psalms. And I I want to look at something in the Old Testament that addresses the anxious heart. I've entitled the message today, A prayer for the anxious heart. A prayer for the anxious heart. Anxiety is quite a problem in our world today, isn't it now? Some of you might say, Pastor Tony, it's between Christmas and New Year's. There is no anxiety right now. Life is good. Well, you might have to log this away for when you go back to work in January and life gets back to normal. Or maybe you can think back to Christmas season and the Christmas family party when you wished I had preached this sermon before that. Whatever the case, the reality is that anxiety is a real struggle for us in in our human state in our with 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 the flesh and the 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 issue that we have there the struggle that we have there and and I'll just say this categorically anxiety as we know it in our world that that's a spiritual condition that's a spiritual issue but there are ways in which that spiritual matter actually creates physical and emotional problems right i'll give you some examples Of this, doctors say that the following effects result from anxiety irritability, depression, insomnia, fatigue, headaches, migraines, tightness in the muscles of the neck, tightness in the muscles of the back. Anxiety can cause an elevated heart rate. Anxiety can cause high blood pressure, upset stomach, ulcers. Some studies have indicated that anxiety actually weakens a person's immune system and makes them more susceptible to colds like diseases, uh, cold, colds and diseases, including cancer. I read a statistic recently that nearly 10% of Americans on, are on some kind of anti anxiety medication Prozac, Xanax, Halcyon, Zoloft, Paxil, Librium, Valium. It seems like more and more of these medications are coming out all the time. And and the need is there. The National Institute of Mental Health, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, claim yeah. that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults or 18% of the population. All this anxiety, anxiety, anxiety in our hearts. And I've got this issue too. And what's ironic when you stop and think about it is we as a country have less to be anxious about than just about anybody else in the history of the world and throughout the world today right now. I mean we we live in a country right now that that there's there's no war taking place in our borders and there hasn't been a war for decades. I mean the last time there's been a war on American soil soil if you you know remove the World Trade Center and Pearl Harbor that was like the 1860s the civil war. That's the last time we had war in our borders. Compared to the rest of the world, we we are safe. And also we are phenomenally wealthy. And we also have clean water that is easily accessible publicly and privately in our homes. That's not true of all the people of the world. Our job rate and our health rate is way better than most of the world. What are we so anxious about? I was listening to Russell Moore's podcast, Signpost, a few weeks ago. You guys know me. I'm always looking for good podcasts. And I've stumbled onto this one by Russell Moore called Signpost. And one of his guests said recently, he said, if I told you 100 years ago, here's the deal. You're going to have a magic machine that you carry around with you, and it gives you instant access to all information on planet Earth at the touch of a button, your smartphone, right? Right? And you can also have FaceTime with anyone in your family, no matter where they live at any time of the day. And you can walk into a market and you can buy product from anywhere in the world that's sourced out of your local supermarket. And also you can order with your magic machine something. And in two days or less, it'll be delivered to your home at your front door. If you told somebody that a hundred years ago, just coming out of World War I, right? They would have thought you were talking about utopia. What a great place. Does that place exist? That's the world that we live in now, and yet, I mean, let's face it. There's anxiety in our world. We got issues. The, The suicide rate is increasing in America. We have an opioid crisis that is destroying communities. Our country is fractured, polarized, and divided. There's a lot of anger. You would have thought the social media thing would have been great for our world, and in some ways it is, but it also, it proliferates a lot of anger and frustration and anxiety in our lives, doesn't it now? I don't really want to get into the causes of anxiety. Maybe I'll deal with that in the series, Brave in the New World, but I want to talk more today about the solutions for this anxiety problem. Let's be solutions-oriented this morning. How do we battle anxiety in our lives? Do you know, Christian? What would you do? What does the Bible tell us to do with our anxieties? Well, the Bible teaches us very simply to pray them out and to pray them through. The Bible says this. Have you heard this before? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Y'all ever heard that before? The Bible says we need to pray. The Bible says we need to have faith. If your anxiety level is way up here and your prayer life is way down here, that's not good. If you're... If your fear is way up here and your faith is way down here, you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues, not just spiritually, but also mentally, emotionally, physically. If I could speak personally for just a second, I mean, there was a time in my life, I've shared this with you guys before. There was a time when I I struggled big time with anxiety. I used to get anxious about a bout of anxiety that was coming over me. I used to be anxious about my anxiety. I, I mean, it was a real problem. And, you know, now, okay, I'm, I'm still a work in progress. I mean, now in my best moments, in my best moments, when I feel it rising inside of me, when I feel it coming over me, I'm like, all right, let's go. Tony, get on this. You need to pray. Your, your anxiety's up here and your prayer life's down here. Your fear's up here and your faith is down here. You need to equalize that. You need to cry out to the Lord. That's at my best moments. In my worst moments, it gets the best of me. And, you know, there's a sense in which with anxiety, <laughs> there's a goodness in it because it forces me and it forces you to depend upon God in ways that you're not depending on him now. Because by nature, too, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty independent, self-dependent person or so, I think. And as my anxiety res- level rises, it, it's a reminder to me, Tony, you need to lean on God. You need to trust in God. You need to pray more. Now, I could talk more about Philippians 4, 6, or 7. I've preached that passage before here. But instead, I want to I look at somebody's own personal struggle with anxiety. I, I want, just to speak into this issue more, I want to access 3,000-year-old wisdom for our lives. From a sage... From a wise man, in fact, a king over Israel who, through the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave us some advice on how to deal with anxiety. Would that be of interest to you, Harvest This sage, otherwise known as King David, in his day, he didn't have powerful pharmaceuticals to deal with anxiety. He did, he did have wine, <laughs> He's going to mention that in this psalm, but that's not the solution to his anxiety problem. That's not what he calls as the solution to our, his anxiety problem. Unlike us, he didn't have Amazon Prime. He didn't have the conveniences of our modern world. In fact, he didn't live a life of peace. He was a man of war. There was constant battle all the way, all, always around him. There was... Um, There were threats against him, both outside and inside of his kingdom, his own family, members of his own family. His son Absalom turned against him. And so with all of this anxiety, with all of this stuff happening with the king of Israel, where does David go when anxiety grips his heart? What does he do with that anxiety? What does David do when his soul is downcast and his life gets wonky? Here's what he does write these down as numbers one through four in your notes, I want to give you today four answers to the question, how does David deal with anxiety in his heart? How does David deal with anxiety in his heart? Here's the first thing he does. He cries out to God for help. He doesn't go first to the medicine cabinet. He cries out to God for help. David says this in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Does that sound like somebody who's in distress? Yeah, and by the way, you know, this, this is the kind of talk. Only a person who has a close, intimate relationship with God talks like this to God. There's, there's an impertinence in this, isn't there? Answer me when I call, oh God of my righteousness. I need you right now. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Whew. By the way, when I read that, that, that's verse 2. When I read verse 1, that's actually verse 2 in the Hebrew Bible. And that's because the superscription recorded, not with a verse in your English Bible, that's actually verse one in the Hebrew, and that's as old as the rest of this psalm. It's part of the scripture, to the choirmaster with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. That's why George read it just a second ago. And that superscription is really important because it tells us that David, David was the author of this psalm. That's helpful. But it also tells us that David wrote this for public consumption, OK? Does that make sense? Y'all know what I'm saying here? This, this is not like David's private diary that he didn't want anybody to see and somebody snuck into his room at night and grabbed it and put it in the Psalms. Like, How'd that get there? No, David wrote this for us. David recorded this for... It wasn't David's private diary recording his private thoughts between him and God. Only it was, but it was meant for us to read And this is David bearing his soul for us, and and he even sets it to music. He wants us to sing it, which, you know, what, what does he want us to sing? What's he showing us here? He's showing us how to call on God in the midst of distress. Answer me when I call. Oh, God of my righteousness, don't leave me hanging. You are righteous, God. I'm not. I need you right now. You have given me relief when I was in distress. In the past, right? So now, in light of what you've done in the past, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You ever prayed a prayer like that before the Lord? Have you now? Maybe in the the privacy of your own home or in your own diary? I have. If you haven't prayed a prayer like this, you will someday. You will someday. And David shows us, hear how to do that And, and he even tells us that repeatedly he's done this with the Lord because in previous times he's prayed like this and God has given him relief in the midst of his distress again and again and again David has come to the Lord in the midst of distress and received help from him if you want more evidence of that that this is a repeated thing for King David just read the book of the Psalms it's like every other psalm he's like oh Lord I'm in distress oh Lord I need your help it's even worse than it was before and you might think this guy is crazy, but if you're wise, you'll think, no, this guy, he's pretty normal. That's, that's life. That's life. We need the Lord. And he keeps coming back. Just read the book of Psalms. You'll see he just keeps coming back to the Lord again and again and again for help in the midst of stress, help in the midst of, of, of struggle and anxiety and difficulty and hardship. And some of you might say in response to that, well, why doesn't God just fix his problems once for all? I mean, why doesn't God just give David permanent relief? Why doesn't he just take away all this distress and take away all this this stuff that's anxiety-inducing in his life? Why doesn't God just give David a nice, easy, cushy life? Well, maybe God wants David to come to him in need. Maybe David needs to learn how to trust God and come to God, and depend upon God. Maybe God uses stress and anxiety in your life and in my life to teach us that we need him, to teach us how to trust him, to to shape us into the image of God. Tell me if you've heard this before. Have you heard this before? A wise man said this once. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Who said that? Jesus said that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he followed it, whew, thank goodness, with this. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Harvest Decatur, let me just tell you right now, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers are wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. In this world, says Jesus, you will have trouble. You will have it. But praise God, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Let me just get personal again. This is it's the last sermon in 2019, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to bare my soul for you this morning. I praise God for the anxieties that he's brought into my life. I really do. I praise God for the, for the, the str- not always, but for the stress, for the challenges, for the difficulties, because they have forced me to lean on God and depend upon God in ways that I wouldn't without that. They've taught me that life without God is empty and distressing and lonely. I wish I could have learned that without the anxiety. You know, sometimes I pray like, Lord, can we just skip to the end? You know, can we just get to that place where I trust you and don't have to go through all that hard stuff? I, I wish I would have just learned that more easily. But, you know, in the words of DC Talk, some people got to learn the hard way. And I guess I'm the kind of guy has to find out for myself. But I'm glad, I'm glad that God has brought these stresses and these anxieties into my life because they taught me how to trust him and lean on him. Am I the only one that's, that has experiences like that? Probably not, probably not. Here's the second thing that David does when he's dealing with anxiety. I'll admit the second thing is kind of strange. It's kind of strange what he does next. Here's what he does. He warns those who defy God. So it's like David stops talking to the Lord, and he's like, oh, since you're listening in on my little prayer time with God, let me tell you something. And he, he lectures those who defy God. Here's what David says in verse 2. He says, oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Selah, this is like the Selah Psalm, right? Selah is, it's probably, we don't know what that means. We don't really know what that means. It's probably a musical notation, you know, change keys or something. But this shows up several times here in this Psalm. Um, and, And you might wonder, well, who's, what's David talking about here with people who are causing his life, such pain conceivably there were people in david's life who were making his life difficult to turning his honor into shame who were those people some of you might say well it was his kids obviously it was his kids they have a way of doing that maybe it was his kids i don't know david's children definitely bought, brought him much heartache throughout his life but more likely it's it's a political or a military foe that's opposing david they're trying to shame david the anointed one of israel It's possible, too, you know, if David wrote this earlier in his life, we don't know the context of this writing, but if he wrote it while he was being chased by King Saul, that would make sense that people were trying to turn his honor into shame. People like King Saul were believing lies about David. And what's interesting in what God did with King David, if you read the narratives about David, you know, he got anointed as the next king as a young man. He got anointed by Samuel and it took him 15 years to realize that kingship. And God forced him to be in this place where he was king. He was going to be the next king. He was anointed as king, but Saul was still alive and he lived another 15 years after David was anointed and Saul didn't like David. I mean, he did it first, but then he wanted to kill him. And, and there was these, these songs that were sung. You know, Saul has struck his thousands and David his ten thousands, sung by the women of Israel. And, and so Saul started to believe these lies about David and started chasing David. And David had to wait 15 years. He had to suffer 15 years, even hide out in the wilderness as David chased, as Saul chased him down to kill him. You might say, well, why didn't, why didn't God just thrust him into the kingship earlier? Why the wait? Maybe God wanted to teach David some things in that 15-year period while Saul was believing lies about him. And David warns these people. I don't know what the context of this was, whether it was early in his life or later when David was king and he had other evildoers pursuing him. Whatever the case, David warns these people, these evildoers, in verse 3, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Remember, David's writing this song for public consumption. He's bearing his soul before the Lord. And he's doing it in such a way so that when people read this, they'll know. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord Yahweh hears when I call to him. In other words, if you mess with the bull, you will get the. If you mess with the cubs. You'll have to deal with mama bear. And God's going to take care of his own. It's, it's interesting to me in our day, how, how many times I hear people say, I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side. Y'all hear that? I hear that all the time. What's ironic to me is that the same people who say that care so little about history. When you really talk to them about it, they, they couldn't care less about history. So why do they care about being on the right or the wrong side of history? And then also a lot of those people who have that ideology, I want to be on the right side of history, whatever they, they mean by that, they also typically have an evolutionary worldview. And they think that there's nothing transcendent. There's no God in the universe. And, and so ultimately what's going to happen is that in a few millennia, this whole world's going to burn up. Everything's going to be consumed. We're all going to disappear. And history won't matter anyway. So why do you care if you're on the right side of history or not? Because according to your worldview, history doesn't even matter in a few millennia. Are you all with me? It's all very self-contradictory. It's all very nonsensical when you reason it out. I'm less worried personally about being on the right side of history than I am about being on the right side of eternity. I want to be on God's side in eternity. That's what I care about. That's what I believe. You want to be be concerned about something? Be concerned about if you're on the right side of God forever and ever and ever. That's what should really fill your mind. That's, That's what really should make you concerned if you're not on the right side of God. Even 3,000 years ago, David warned people, don't get on God's bad side. Don't oppose the God of the universe. Because the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears the prayers of those who belong to him and fear him and put their trust in him. Tell me if you've heard this before, Harvest Decatur. This is like, you know, the Bible's greatest hits here. Tell me if you've heard this before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Have Y'all heard that? That's good. Some of you might say, well, what's going to happen next year, 2020? I'm nervous about 2020, Pastor Tony. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? Who's going to be our next president? Fret, 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 fret. I don't know. I can't peer into the future and see what's going to happen in 2020. God hasn't given me that foresight, but I know this, and I'll tell you this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Write this down as number three. David cries out to the Lord. He warns those who defy God, and then now he counsels those who fear God. I've been thinking about this this last week, just studying this psalm, and I have wondered at different times, you know, what David is doing here in this psalm. Because first he talks to God, and then it's like he steps out of that conversation and starts talking to other people those who defy God, verses 2 and 3, and then he counsels those who fear God, verses 4 and 5. And I've wondered if maybe, you know, maybe David's not communicating to the outside world. Maybe he's just talking to himself, you know? Like like he's talking to God, and then all of a sudden in verses 2 and 3, he's saying, don't defy God, David. Remember what happens to those who defy God. And then in verse 4 and 5, he starts telling himself, be angry and do not sin, David. Remember what happens to those kinds of people. What do y'all think? Do y'all think my theory's crazy? Do y'all talk to yourself like that sometimes in your prayer? I do. Don't be an idiot, Tony. You know, remember the last time you got away from the Lord? You know, that didn't end up anywhere good. You guys have conversations with yourself like that? Now you think your pastor's crazy, don't you? I don't know if that's what David's here. Maybe he's talking to himself. Maybe he's talking to us. Maybe he's talking to both. But here's what he says in verse 4. And it's, it's incredibly practical what he does here. Here's what he says. Look at verse 4. He says, be angry. Harvest a cater. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Selah. The word for be angry here it's the Hebrew word ragaz and it means literally to quake or to shake or to tremble. It can also mean to be in anguish or to be in emotional pain or distress. And in fact this word ragaz it has a whole realm of emotions that can can be referenced here beyond just being angry. And what David is saying here here's his advice for you it's incredibly practical. He's saying, "All right, get angry, be angry, you're angry, you're agitated, you're frustrated." In that state, don't sin. You come home agitated, don't take that out on your wife and your kids. You come home and you're, you're, you're bothered, you're struggling, don't lash out. Don't blow up. Don't boil over with your anger or with your frustration or with your anxiety. Don't lash out at your wife or your kids. Don't lash out at your husband. Don't escape from your troubles with with drink, or with sex, or with gluttony, be angry, be agitated, be frustrated, frustrated, but do not sin, tremble and shake, but do not sin. Instead, what am I supposed to do then, Pastor Tony? Do this. David says, "Do this. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Hush. Is that helpful? Just be quiet. Don't say something that you're going to regret in your anger. Don't react in anger. Don't, don't blow up. Don't melt down. Instead, ponder in your heart. Think it through. Go to, go to your bedroom if you have to. And, and, and spill out your guts before the Lord on your couch, on your bed, and be silent and think the situation through. Here are some questions to ask yourself when, when that anger, when that agitation, when that anxiety starts to rise. Ask yourself, what is troubling me right now? In what way am I not trusting God in this situation? I'm trying to compensate for something that I don't think God is doing, right? Right? Why am I so angry? Am I right to be angry? Usually that diffuses the whole thing. Am I right to be anxious? No. Think it through in silence and don't sin in your anger. Is that, is that helpful? Is that practical? Some of you right now, you're saying, Pastor Tony, well, I could have used this sermon last week before all my family came over for Christmas. Blew up at all of them. If you did that, can I encourage you right now? You're not saved by not sinning. You're saved by grace, aren't you now? And, you know, God, he didn't record this in the scripture, Psalm 8, verse 4, to show you if you do this, you're going to be saved. He did this to show you how a growing Christian, a growing believer, a fear of God lives their lives. And just to remember, too, I know we've talked a lot about grace in the book of Romans. The grace that saves you is also the grace that changes you. Isn't it now? And so when you get saved, you have have this grace, and then you have this thing called the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life, and he starts to teach you things like this. In your anger, don't sin. Don't lash out. Think it through. Calm down. Be quiet. Work it through. Work it out with the Lord. Some of you might ask, okay, Pastor Tony, I'm I like this. But what about when I get away and I, I have a headache and I'm really struggling? Can I can I take an ibuprofen? Is that okay if I do that? You know, like to deal with my headache? Yes, take an ibuprofen. I've done that many times. It's very helpful. Some of you might say, Well, Tony, I get restless and I get anxious and I can't can I take a sleeping pill to help me sleep if I need to rest? Can I take some NyQuil, Pastor Tony, if I'm sick and I'm frustrated and uh, that sickness is causing all this problem? Can I take some Xanax for my anxiety? Maybe. Maybe. I'm not really against any of those things. In fact, I'm 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 really for NyQuil. NyQuil has saved me many times. So praise God. I've praised God many mornings for NyQuil and a good night's sleep. But let me encourage you, before you do that, before you run to the medicine cabinet, you need to think through the situation a little bit more. Is there something inside of my soul that NyQuil, that a sleeping pill, that Xanax won't cure? Is there something that God is doing inside of me? Is there something deep inside of me beyond the physical? That maybe God is exposing through this anxiety, through this sickness, through this, this, this anger that I'm dealing with right now. Because NyQuil, it might give you a good night's sleep and deal with your cold. Xanax may trick your brain into thinking that you're happy when you're not really happy. But it won't fix what's inside of your soul. And anxiety ultimately, and even anger, those are spiritual issues. You can't medicate spiritual issues. And you're going to come out of that with the same problems you went into it. So, ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. And then do this, verse 5. Offer right sacrifices, says David, and put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. You know, in the Old Testament, world, right sacrifices meant offerings of guilt, you know, the guilt offerings, and that was your way to kind of, you know, cathartically deal with your sin. It was an act of faith, too. In our New Testament world, we don't offer up sacrifices, because Christ is the once for all sacrifice for our sins, right? And so maybe, practically, as we read verse 5, we think, offer up right sacrifices. Okay, this is my chance to remember what Jesus has done for me in the gospel, and remember the sacrifice for my sin and what he's paid for me. And then David put his trust in the Lord. You can put your trust in the Lord in a moment of anxiety. Can't you now? And maybe part of this application too, as we talk about, well, how do we offer up right sacrifices to the Lord? If Jesus is our once for all sacrifice, maybe some of that involves practically recommitting yourself to spiritual disciplines, to deal with the anger and the anxiety and the sin inside of your heart, recommitting yourself to prayer to disciplines of confession, to disciplines of Bible reading, to disciplines of fellowship, to disciplines of worship. Getting to church. You want want a weekly cure for the anxiety in your, your heart? Come to church and worship God. That cures so much that ails us. And then one final thing here that David does in this battle with anxiety This is important, and this is a great way to close this psalm. He, what does he do? He recalls God's goodness in his life. He remembers what God has done in the past. Let's finish this up here. David says in verse 6, he says, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? There are many out there, David says, who these are the pessimists in our lives. Are, are there pessimists in this world? Yeah, they are. Th- these are the pessimists. There's many out there who are saying, who will show us some good? Life is hard. Life is difficult. Nothing good ever happens. Who will show us some good in this world? Are there people like that in our world? Yeah, there are the Eeyores of our world, right? Who, you know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, there's a character, if y'all read through those books, there's a, there's a character called Puddle Glum. Y'all remember that guy? The, the Marsh Wiggle, Puddle Glum. And that's like this guy, that's who David's talking about here. There are, there are Puddle Glums in our world. There are Eeyores in our world. Who will show us some good, they're saying. And David says about that, he says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Show them some goodness, Lord. Eradicate their pessimism. Deal with it, Lord. Show them the goodness of your presence and the goodness of your grace. You ever prayed a prayer like that before the Lord? You should. Show them, Lord, how good you are. Because they don't get it. Who will show us some good? And you know what? To be honest, there's a little bit of puddle glum in all of us. There's a little bit of Eeyore in all of us. We all have that, that pessimistic strain inside of us. Show us your goodness, Lord. Show up. Show up in such a way and, and pour out your light on us. There's an ironic blessing in the Old Testament. I think David's referencing that here. There's a place in the Old Testament where Moses tells Aaron, the high priest, to speak to the people of Israel and to bless them as their high priest. And so Aaron does it. And this is what he says to the whole people, to the congregation. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace. I think David's referencing that here, 500 years after it was recorded in the book of Numbers. David isn't a priest, but he's looking for God to do what Aaron prayed in the book of Numbers, to lift up the light of your face upon us, O Yahweh, to show us your favor. And then David says this in verse 7. He says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. I have more joy in you, Lord, than I have in food and drink. I love food. Can I tell you that? I love it. And for David, I'm sure David loved it too. You know, something that he recently killed, cooked over the fire, ate with his men. I'm sure it tasted great. Or the the harvest with... Fresh grain coming out of the fields, fresh wine being made after the grapes are taken down. David says, The joy inside of my heart, what you've put inside of me, it's better than that. It's better than provision. It's better than food. It's better than drink. Verse 8 In shalom, in peace. I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. No more anxiety. No more stress. No more worry about what's going on. I'm just going to relax, trust God, and go to sleep. You guys remember that old Puritan prayer? It went like this. My granny actually has this stitching somewhere in her house. I can't remember where it is, but... I remember reading this even as a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. If I should live for other days, I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways. You guys heard that before? You all have heard that, haven't you? That was actually part of the New England primer back in the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s, I mean, this was a long time ago, where in the public schools, they would actually read and memorize this as part of their curriculum. That was a long time ago. But the sentiment that's in that prayer, it's not really that different than what David expresses 3,000 years ago. And David, he wasn't a kid when he wrote verse 8. His anxieties were surely more than any kid in the 18th, 19th century was dealing with, even more than adults are dealing with now. And David, as king of Israel, dealing with these threats to his life, threats both inside and outside of his kingdom, all these horrible things, all these anxieties that he's dealing with, all these burdens that are weighing down on him. In the midst of that, you know what he says? You know how he closes the psalm? I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm going to rest. I'm going to trust in the Lord. What's the worst that could happen? I die in my sleep? That's not all that bad. I I just go home to the Lord. That's the worst that could happen to me. The Lord is on his throne. I belong to the Lord. I'm going to sleep. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you, alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know what Psalm 4 teaches us? It doesn't just teach us how to deal with anxiety. I hope you've learned a thing or two about that, but... Psalm 4 teaches us how to go to bed at night. It teaches us how to sleep. It teaches us how to trust God. So, you know, let me me just ask you, Harvest Decatur, how are you sleeping right now? Is something bothering you? Do you have something heavy on your heart? What's the worst that could happen to you that night when you go to bed? You, You die and go home to the Lord? What burdens are you carrying that God can't handle for you? What troubles are you dealing with that you you can't overcome by knowing that God has got you in the palm of his hands, that he is sovereign, he is on his throne and he's going to do his good work in your life. If you know that, if you believe that, you'll sleep. You'll rest. When Alistair was a little boy, I used to sing this song to him. It's a song called MLK by U2. It's too bad Sonja's not here because she loves U2. But I used to to sing this song to him when he was little to kind of, you know, put his restless heart at ease. But I think I sung it too because my heart was restless as a young father. And I needed it. And, and the song, some of you might have heard it before, it just goes like this. Sleep, sleep tonight, and may your dreams be realized. If the thundercloud passes rain, so let it rain. Rain on him. Even as a kid, Alistair was like, that's not right, Daddy. You're not singing that right. You're off key. <laughs> as far as I know, that song by U2, it's a song about MLK, and, and it's a reminder that even in his death, his his dreams are being realized, which is it's really encouraging. You remember MLK's I Have a Dream speech that dream has come to fruition, even though the, the thunderclouds, so to speak, are still passing rain. I used to sing that song, and it was a reminder to me in the midst of the thunderstorms, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the anxiety, that, that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God's purposes are being accomplished in this world, and we can rest confidently knowing that God is on his throne. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety, and even if I die in my sleep, if I should die before I wake, I pray Thee, Lord, my soul to take. You know, Martin Luther. I'll close with this. Martin Luther. He was so moved by Psalm four, especially verse eight, that he used this psalm to compose his *Ars Moriendi*. It's called. It was this. Uh, this document that people use to help them prepare for death. And, you know, if you know anything about Martin Luther, he was always thinking about death. He was always worried about death. And the reason is because, you know, he lived in the time of bubonic plagues everywhere. So there was death everywhere, and there was constant threats to his life, and there was war all the time, and so he could die at any time. He was always thinking about death, always talking about death, always writing about death. And so when he read this, Psalm four verse eight. He read it in the context of eternal sleep, not just sleep, sleep, but eternal sleep. John Calvin didn't read it that way. He read it differently, but this is how Luther read it. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone make me to dwell in safety. So, as Luther was thinking about death and as he was composing this *Ars moriende to help people prepare for eternal sleep, he he talked about how we can go to bed well at night and 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 be at peace and and the great fear of medieval man and this is because of the the false teaching of the church at that time the great fear of medieval man is that they would die in their sleep before the priest came and gave them last rites they were terrified of that and and luther he knew the scriptures and he knew that those fears were unfounded he said no you can go to sleep at night and not be afraid of that if you have faith in christ if you know christ What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you in the middle of the night? You die and you go home to the Lord. You don't need a priest to offer you last rites. All that to say this, when you go to sleep tonight, Harvest Decatur, Anybody going to go to sleep tonight? Some of you? What are you going to think about? What's going to weigh on your heart tonight? Maybe next week, going back to work. What troubles are you carrying? Psalm 4 teaches you not only how to deal with anxiety, but how to get a good night's sleep. Because whatever happens tonight when you go to sleep, what's the worst that can happen? You die? You go home to glory? What troubles are you dealing with right now that God can't handle? That God isn't sovereign over? Is there really anything for us to worry about? Tonight when you go to bed, I want you to focus on that. I want you to think about Psalm 4. I want you to think about God being in charge. I want you to turn over your anxieties to him. I want you to cry out to him if you need to. And then I want want you to be at peace and pull the covers over you and go to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If I should live for other days, I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways.